still wringing our clothes out from Sunday afternoon, welcome to Hand of Pop. So 160 of Hand of Pod, I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined this week to review the Super Classico and to talk about a lot more stuff besides by Andres Bruckner Hi. Hello. and Peter mm. Quattis. Hello. Welcome back, Peter. You've not been off for a while. I know, yeah, yeah. It's been uh, a few weeks. It's almost as if you've got a proper day job or something. <laughs> so. Most tragic. Um, as we say, the first thing that we have to, to look at, because we spent all of last week, well, not all of last week, but most of last week talking about it, is, of course, the River Plate versus Boca Juniors, I'm not going to say bloodbath, it was more like a mud bath, um, on Sunday afternoon. Um, a, uh, an entertaining match, as we were saying just before we started recording, but perhaps not for the normal footballing reasons that a football match can be entertaining for. Um, what did you two make of it, watching from a slightly more uh, dry vantage point, let's say, than, than I had? You, sorry, you remember me, is having said in last uh, episode, when Joel was talking about the, the history of River Boca, that I said, well, you we have to be careful, well, not careful, but to watch the weather conditions, because it, it looks like it will be raining again, and what a rain. It was third consecutive Sunday, rainy Sunday, uh, which in which which made uh, River play with that condition for third consecutive time. And <laughs> it was I, I said that saying well it will be raining, but I didn't imagine it will, it will be like that that rain. It was interesting. It started midnight, one o'clockish the yeah. previous night. Sort of carried on. It wasn't that that heavy or or powerful until. Uh, as I was saying just before we started recording, until about an hour, 40 minutes before kickoff, when there was a 20 minute spell in which it absolutely hammered down. Um, and that was the point where a few people, the people who had the benefit of watching at home on their televisions, uh, were beginning to, to ask themselves whether the game was actually going to go ahead or not. From up in the stands, um, I was there, of course, as was Joel, although he couldn't make the recording this week, um, there was much more of a sense of. Uh, but you got you got much more of a sense of the annoyance it would have caused to everybody if it had been called off. There was quite a bizarre kind of a, a recognition that it was faintly ridiculous to be kicking off in those conditions, but b a reluctance to admit that you couldn't play in those conditions because that would just make us the same as Boca, wouldn't it? After the Boca Racing fiasco a couple of weeks ago, um, and and b a kind of we've been standing out here in the pissing rain for two hours already <laughs> we really want to see this game now we don't want to have to be told to go home without seeing any football um, so it was a, a, a quite bizarre moment but, but I saw afterwards on the television when I was watching the highlights The uh, I don't know whether it was the football paratodos or one of the Teisei um, pitch side people uh, going out onto the pitch with, with Mauro Vigliano the referee and uh, saying to him Mauro is the match going to be played about 40 minutes before kick off and Vigliano saying yes very firm voice, very decisive and in no way conscious of the fact that he's going to spend the next week or so being completely vilified for that decision. 
Um, it, it was vaguely farcical, wasn't it? I, I think that this, there is a responsibility, responsibility in the uh, referees' college or, or school in which they might said, Vigliano, the match has to be played. Somehow it must uh, be played. And, and no, no matter the rain, no matter the weather conditions, no matter the, the pitch, and then they they ban him for having a not a good. Uh, they've denied both of those things, though. They've denied that they put pressure on him and that he didn't have the option to call it off. And they've also denied that it's a ban. Uh, he was already um, yeah, he, he uh, programmed to to travel along yeah. with Patricio Lostal, um to a FIFA conference of some sort to prepare referees. It's a course or something. Yeah, it's very convenient, isn't it? Just um, but there we go. It was already. Agendado, uh, apparently. Uh, it was already on the agenda for him. Uh, the final score of the match, by the way, was 1 all, uh, because at some point during the, uh, amongst all the rain, both teams managed to, to put together some moments of football. The two goals both came from defenders. First time that's happened in a Super Classico since about 1994, I think, that all of the goals have come from defenders. Um, they were scored by Leandro Magashan for Boca Juniors about halfway through. The first half. Lisandro. Lisandro Magashan, sorry. Are you sure? Yeah. Really? Universal Football, I've got his name wrong. No, it's Lisandro, yes. Is it? Yeah, yeah you're right. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, you're right, okay. Uh, by Leandro, uh, Lisandro Magashan, sorry, Lisandro. They're similar, but. Indeed, yeah. No, the the website that I'm using for the uh, for the score in that case has got the first name wrong. Um, and by uh, Germán Petzela who I'm told, because I didn't really notice the change um, from my position quite high up in the gods, as it were, uh, was kind of put on as a striker. No? Yeah. It, well, yes, said, uh, told him, it was said that he was told, uh, that Gallardo told Pesela, well, come on, uh, get into the... I'm getting all the names wrong today. Sorry, Andres, carry on. Uh, that it was said that Gallardo told Pesela, well, get into the pitch and score a goal. Like it, as it were similar, uh, as it were easy, but uh, uh, apparently he said uh, that that well uh, uh, with the intention of of, of uh, knowing that the pitch wasn't go- wasn't ideal to to play with the ball uh, with the low ball. Uh, he he said that in order to to shoot some crosses, and well, <laughs> yeah, the, the the first play he was in the pitch. Uh, he, he he did it. So it, if he if, if it was like that, it was uh, just perfect. Mm, indeed, uh, that came with about twelve minutes to go. Um, in between which, from where I was sitting, uh, and, and you know, it's obviously part of the the home crowd. There were no away fans in the stadium, obviously, as we all know. Um, it seemed like River were were applying a lot of pressure, even before the the moment, which I think undoubtedly. You know, it had a huge influence on the game, even aside from the weather, um, which was the second awful refereeing decision of the afternoon. The first, of course, being the decision to get to the hell out of the to kick off, um, which was the red card shown to Fernando Gago five minutes before half time. Um, did it look like a red card to, to you two when you saw it at full speed? The thing is, I don't know what where the ref was in yeah. relation to the incident because I'm obviously much closer than the TV camera. Is that much yeah, closer than I was? Because from the TV camera, on sort of halfway, the traditional sort of point at full speed, it was very difficult to tell 
especially because of Gago's strange body position, mm. it, you couldn't really see. Obviously, with the benefit of the replay, it's, it's quite clear what happened. But the referee had he obviously been close, and if he was in a good position, I would have thought should have seen what had happened. But I haven't seen a, a, an angle which shows where the ref was in relation to the incident. Yeah, there was a shot that went in from Ramiro Funes Mori, who of course scored the. Um the, the winning goal for River in La Bombonera six months ago um, which uh, Gago blocked with his head and it went it bounced down from his head onto his foot which was his head was very low and his foot was very high yeah. which is which is why Peter says that it was a, quite a sort of bizarre uh, body shape for him to have adopted his hand at this point was behind his head so there's absolutely no doubt that it didn't go near his hand um, but uh, Vigliano um not only awarded the penalty for handball, but also sent, sent Gago off for denying the goal-scoring opportunity, um, which Gago was not amused by at all, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, the penalty subsequently was, uh, as you'll have noted, uh, as you'll have guessed, dear listeners, from the fact that I've said that Rivers' equaliser came with 12 minutes left and that this happened with five minutes to go until half-time, the penalty was missed by Rodrigo Mora after about a three-minute build-up of the fans building up and up and up and chanting and the atmosphere was incredible and then the penalty went over the crossbar. It was all very anticlimactic. Um, apparently it's the third penalty that River have missed in the last six attempts or something. Yeah. They, they've got, of course, Mora, Teo and uh, Piscolici kind of share the responsibilities for penalties. Yes, um, yes. And uh, I've, I've seen one or two people asking today whether the lack of one set taker uh, shoots them in the foot at times, but... The, the thing is that Mora, uh, uh, previous uh, performance against Boca, uh, might have uh, tell, 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 told him that that might have uh, told him that he was uh, the, the one to choose the penalty, and and had came back to River to to score goals apart from Boca, but it was like the the the, <clears throat> the phrase that was in the air that. Will Mora score a goal against Boca again or not? And it was a penalty, and so the, the ideal situation for him was to to, to shoot it. Uh, don't know if he was the, the with the ideal co- the, the, the enough confidence. Uh, I perhaps, of course, with the penalty missed, one can wonder why didn't Theo shoot the penalty with being the the the, the goal the, the goals the the. the they started with more goals in River at River and then well, but uh, but he was the, the uh, with the previous performance against Boca. I think it wasn't bad, the bad choice for for Mora to choose to to shoot it. Then, now, I mean, on that point, I think there's someone asked me on Twitter afterwards why why was Mora taking the penalty. But I mean, as you said, the River haven't really had a, a designated penalty taker. Um, no, and of course the other thing is that Mora supposedly Mora always does fantastically against Boca. So and he's been in very, very good form and yeah. certainly not lacking in confidence. I mean, mm. when you look at the fourth, the, the fourth goal against Independiente, that the lob that he scores on his weaker foot is mm. not from a striker that is lacking confidence. Uh, so, I mean, I think with the benefit of hindsight, you can easily say, oh, Teo should have taken that back. One of those things. It wasn't really that, that controversial um, decision. The refereeing generally was pretty controversial. I thought the big banner was... Uh, Obviously, it's difficult to say that he was equally bad for both sides because he sent Gag off when he clearly shouldn't have done. But there were certainly calls at both ends of the pitch that could have gone the opposite way uh, and perhaps should have gone the opposite way. Um, it was all in all 
not a very good performance from the official, and we've already mentioned that he's uh, either been suspended for this weekend or hasn't been suspended for this weekend, depending on which reports he read. Um, but what can we take from from the match now for you know the, basically the second half of the championship? We're slightly more than halfway through the championship now, of course, with ten matches into a nineteen game um, campaign. Um, but who do you think is going to be happier with it? River got the late equaliser, but at the same time, going to the Monumental and not losing is is a pretty good result for Boca, even though they had the lead, right? I mean, they're the first team in and in eight months to to not lose to River in the Monumental. And tournaments is still open because if River had won against Boca with twenty four points, Lanús twenty with more than a match uh, to to. Uh, I mean, if River losing a match and Lanús winning, winning his match, uh, even that uh, with that situation, wouldn't reach River. In this case, Lanús winning against Godoy Cruz and River losing against News, mm. that would make them make them the leaders uh, and pass River. So, uh, uh, I think that more than than for Boca, is is more interesting for the tournament for the championship. At the same time, it's not. A- Awfully bad result for River. They keep the unbeaten record under Gachardo. It's now 14 games unbeaten um, in all competitions. Four games in, in which they, they start losing and they don't end it lose, lo, losing. Uh, so uh, it's against Lorenzo, Arsenal, Lanús and Boca. Mm. Uh, four matches in which they they start losing uh, and they can uh, score at least a goal. And they were, they when they, they, they were scored... They were then when they considered the goal, they considered only one. Not not they, ne- they never considered more than one goal. Mm. And well, it's third consecutive draw. That's the only. It is the third consecutive draw, yeah. and that's we've had uh, a question which we'll get to a bit later about uh, the drop off in Rivers' form. But those three draws have been two of them are away, one against Arsenal, who have actually got the joint best home record in the division along with River and Estudiantes, they've both got four wins and one draw, I think. Um, and one, of course, against Lanús, whose home unbeaten record is basically as long as Rivers. I think River are now unbeaten at home in all competitions for 14 matches, and Lanús are unbeaten at home for 13 matches. Um, so neither of those are, are draws that, you know, they happen to have been consecutive, but neither of them are draws that in and of themselves are bad results. The other, of course, are home to Boca in... Well, in the Super Classico. It's maybe an opponent who you might look at the league position and say, uh, yeah, they should be expected to win, but it's Boca, so that kind of In terms of the game itself, I think that Lanús is even more complicated than Boca, on, and the, the way they play the match, the matches against Lanús, it is not a Classico, but a Classico, but it is like it was a Classico. Mm. Uh, uh, even with Guillermo, more when, when Guillermo is in the bench, at Lanús bench, and the... Uh, um, he well, it was it was uh, watched in, on TV. Well, in my case, I watched the game, and the way that Lanús players were uh, against the, the River one once, it was like very. I don't. I won't say not loyal, but they were like uh, shooting, uh, perhaps uh, uh, kicking uh, the, 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 the River players when, when the ball wasn't there. Some things like that. Uh, and, and trying to make some, to put some some heat in the game. Uh, we, we, that means that they were, uh, well, 
a, a, a very tough rival, and with with of of course with again with heavy. Complaining about this, Andres? Is this a? a I think a, that he was a very big, a big club fan complaining that his team hasn't had enough protection, or are you saying that they? No, no, no. The, the, the match was played very. It was very very like. How 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 can I put it? Uh, in a way, in a very hard way, it's it was for from both uh, teams, River and Lanús, Twitter uh, having some some fight with with Jorge Ortiz and, and Barrientos and, and well uh, then Araujo the right back from Lanús saying that Teo isn't good people. Uh, it was played like that with. Uh, with condientes apretados, like we say here, mm. with the, the, and, and that was that w- that I, I think that that was difficult for River more than the game itself, uh, a, a match with no not comfortable match, not mm. not, not comfortable at all. Sure, um, the conditions as well, of, of course, as we've mentioned, the the one question that's been going around, or well, one of the several questions that's been going around, has always go around after Super Clásicos, uh, given the weather that it was played in and I think this is where we're going to have to defer to, to Peter's judgment because he of course is, is neutral and not a river sympathiser like uh, myself and Andres um, and it's certainly something that I've heard a lot I, I heard on the way out to the stadium a lot of river fans were pining about um, uh, the rain the conditions did they favour one team over another? You obviously know what I want you to say, Peter, but please say what, what you actually No, I mean, <laughs> I, I can understand why... Well, that is it round to make it I can understand why River fans would say that. Obviously, the rain basically made uh, any passing the ball along the floor almost impossible. Certainly, it made any uh, like attacking from, from the flanks, like, you know, Mangione mm. or... Ronaldo were able to really yeah, do was, anything. There was a kind of watching in the stand. I don't know how apparent it was on TV, but watching from, as I say, quite high up in the stands behind one of the goals, I, I had a sort of a classic uh, like FIFA '98 style view with the one corner just in front of you and sort of stretched out, and you could see that there was a band maybe twenty yards or so wide running down the middle of the pitch, where it wasn't that bad through the centre circle and then you know towards each goal, um, it was playable still. Every time the ball went out to the flanks, we're talking splashes up to head high yeah. of the players and the ball sitting up or sometimes rowing ahead of the players, sometimes stopping all of a sudden and the player ends up running way past it. Um, and so, yeah, as you say, it made using the width of the pitch tricky. So, so with that in mind, obviously, yes, River River were unable to play how they have been in this in this tournament, which has obviously been the best, the best football in, in division. Saying that, I don't really think you can say it favoured Boca because I mean that they they also well under Aroa Morena have, have sort of been playing the ball on the floor. Um, they're not a very direct team. I mean it's not like they have some whacking great centre forward who they just pump the ball up to. So it, it didn't really favour them. I mean perhaps Boca were a bit quicker to figure that out um, on the day. Um, and you know their goal came from from that piece. really from just pumping so the ball in was, yeah, yeah. Um, which I don't think was any surprise at all and it was no. how certainly how I was expecting it to you know you thought if, when the goal comes whoever scores it it's more likely to come from a set piece than from open play purely because of the way the absolutely yeah I mean the same same with River I mean the dangerous moments for River really in the first half came from Piscolucci's deliveries and 
you know, was it Mercado hit the post with a header? Yes, he did, yeah. Uh, Funes Mori maybe came close later on and was scrambled away by Orion, Orion but um, that was just the nature of the game. I think both teams eventually got realised that, that, well, look, we're not going to pass it, pass it through the defence, um, so we're going to have to uh, resort to perhaps the uglier side of football, set pieces and, and long balls. Oh, and, and, and obviously, why Cachado eventually decided to put a centre-back on into a more kind of advanced position and said there's that's you know a very good header of the ball let's put him on as like a number nine and just put the ball into the box and then obviously that got their goal so yeah um one man who didn't seem to, to notice what i noticed about the middle of the pitch being playable and the flanks not was marcelo barrovero who very nearly did himself an embarrassment on about three or four occasions continually trying to play it out to i think it was gabriel mercado at right back um, and then finding that the ball just didn't get close to Mercado and having to scramble to save it himself or and at one point slipping over um, I, didn't, I, I can't remember whose shot was it Caleri had the shot um, which ended up fortunately for River running just wide of the goal sort of across the yeah, I think it was Chavez that they was running ah, Chavez, and right, didn't yeah. get the ball because Arbero just re- reached it no no I mean when the, the, there was another occasion when Arbero tried to pass it out Mercado's, it might have been Mercado's back pass to him stayed up short yeah. Chavez nipped in and, and Barrovero actually slipped over trying to trying to recover and yeah. Chavez ran past him and had that chip which uh, as I say fortunately for the river ran wide at the post and, and, and got cleared again by Mercado um, but an interesting super classical one that leaves River as we've mentioned already um, still unbeaten top of the table um, it does mean they've, they've, they've drawn three in a row, but their total uh, record overall is now six wins and four uh, draws with, with no defeats. They're two points ahead of Lanús, and they are three points ahead of Independiente. Um, and then it's uh, uh, Independiente themselves are two ahead of Atletico de Rafaela and Newell's Old Boys. The reason for those, of course, is the other results that took place over the weekend, um, which go as follows. Gimnasia beat uh, Velasasvil 2-0. Banfield and Belgrano were involved in a fairly entertaining 2-2 draw. San Lorenzo, um, who played their uh, first round match against Olimpo after we recorded last week, I think. Yeah. I think the same evening that we recorded, but shortly after, or possibly during. I think it might have been during the recording, yeah. but full time came afterwards. They lost that one 2-0. Uh, no, they didn't. Sorry, they won against Olimpo 2-0 last week, midweek. Um, and they lost on Saturday to Tigre by the same scoreline at home so San Lorenzo's sort of iffy form post-Copa Libertadores continues Defensa Justicia versus Arsenal ended 2-1 to the hosts that's Defensa Justicia's first win at home in the top flight ever well done to them Quilmes and Newells drew 1-1 in Quilmes Olimpo lost at home to Estudiantes de la Plata 2-1 um, Racing uh, which we'll get on to in a second uh, Rosario Central lost 2-1 at home to Lanús on Monday and then possibly the most entertaining match rather than entertaining just to laugh at two of the biggest teams in the country slipping over all the time um, possibly the most entertaining match of football of the round, at least of the ones I saw because of course I missed the ones on Sunday um, was the 2-2 draw on Monday night between Godoy Cruz and Independiente which is a good excuse to Danny said to be an Independiente fan here to begin by asking Peter whether Federico Manquesho is well overdue a national team call-up. Well, his lead form is absolutely he scored, he scored one goal and then had another goal stolen off him by his teammate Sarate, who headed in what was looking like an Olympico 
A goal direct yeah. from a corner. Sarate got it, got his head on it right underneath the crossbar to nudge it over the line. Yeah, I mean his form is is just astonishing, in in, in it's especially considering uh, considering he spent what is he twenty three, twenty four, twenty four, and he, he spent the vast majority of his career just not really being very good. And all of a sudden, yeah, yeah exactly. He's playing lightly in El Messi, and now, now he's joined top goal scorer in the league, and I mean. The, the thought of him not being in the independent team is uh, it's frightening because he's the second sort of wonder, wonder what would happen to the side if he wasn't there yeah he's, he's the second independent player in the, in the short championship era to score in seven consecutive first division games and he is the first to do that with all seven of those games coming in the same championship because the previous one was um, oh. that other bloke oh god I've forgotten his name uh, Nestor Silvera was it? Somebody or other who who scored twice at the end of one Clausura and then in the next five games of the of the Apertura, um, but uh, Manquechos have all come um, in consecutive matches of this very championship. With uh, Monday nights being one, it was a really good game as well. Just generally, I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so very uh, very open. I think that's what, that's really Independiente's downfall. I think. <laughs> Yes, they are incredibly open, and, uh, but yeah. they showed good spirit as well because they they were two one down at half time. They had uh, the man that we've mentioned a couple of times, the the boy that we've mentioned a couple of times this season, Nicolas Breitenbruch, was sent off four minutes into the second half. Nestor, um, Nestor Breitenbruch, bloody hell! <laughs> it says Nicolas there. I'm there, getting all the names wrong, and they're causing me to get them wrong as well. Uh, I apologise to to Mr. Breitenbruch. Um, but he was sent off four minutes into the second half, and after that, Independiente had to kind of rally and to come back into it. And I mean, okay, against Godoy Cruz, it, it's uh, they, they've been slightly open at times um, themselves, but uh, they, they showed good spirits, I think, to, to get the equaliser. And as we say, came from a, a possible Olympico from a corner, but even so, it was, it was richly deserved by the time they scored it. I thought. Yeah, and I think that yeah, that idea of the sort of spirit within the team has been one of the factors. This season, because so many of the the points or the or the wins that Independiente have picked up this season have been when coming from behind, mm. and that's when Manquecho's goals have been so important because he scored. I think I saw a statistic about you know directly his goals and the amount of points that have earned by either scoring the winner or the or the you know the goal which brings them level in yeah. games is phenomenal. Do you get to many games, and I mean, whether you do or not, have you sensed a kind of what's the mood around the club at the moment? Because obviously, the season began with with no, so what? It, 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 sorry, uh, towards the end of last season, uh, Cantero was overthrown as president, and so you've got the the batter essentially in charge of the club now, almost, which isn't great politically speaking, but on the pitch, things seem to be going the right way. Yeah, and I think as you'd have sort of expect. If things are going well on the pitch, then other no matters really kind of yeah, other matters kind of get forgotten. Um, and obviously, sort of this season's probably going better than most people would have expected. So, as a result, I think everyone's they must take care of Manguesho not yeah. to be down with even a, a cold because mm. they are clearly the, the, the I think a lot of people saying that he's the best uh, player in the, in the tournament and could be, but. Uh, the problem with the main day, I think, is what I heard is that the defend, defense was terrific. So, if they defend like that, I, that with some possibilities for for the for the tournament, which clearly now seems to be for River or Lanús and Independiente, even though they are only one point behind Lanús, well, that that 
handicap they are giving with defense defending like that. Yes, yeah. that that's as I said. I think they're just a little bit too open. I'm not sure whether, to some extent, they're still adjusting to Jorge Almiron's change of formation. I mean, mm. he switched to this three-five-two, which which is creating very attractive football and playing very well. You, you but, actually, a couple of weeks ago, compared them with Manchester United on, on Twitter. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I, I picked you up on the, the quality maybe isn't quite as high, but uh, the, the point is a valid one. Then. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm no way comparing Quasar yeah. to Di Maria. This right. is at the front, yeah. passy at the back. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, also, a very small little lost in translation bit there, Andres, uh, called Independiente's uh, defence terrific, and I suspect you're going after terrorifico in Spanish, which means horrible. Yes. In English, terrific means really good. Uh, yes, the other so, way. <laughs> Just the other way. False, false friends, so, let's say. And, and I think that that openness against certain teams can lead to it going terribly wrong, as we saw in mm. the Monumental. Yes, indeed. Uh, or when Vélez won in Navigenea for 4 mm. I mean... There's always Independiente play so openly that at some point you always think they could get spanked. But their record, apart from that Vélez defeat, at least at home, is very good. That's the only match at home this season that they haven't won, um, and that was back in the third round. They, they of course won on the opening weekend at home to Rafaela three nil, Atlético, sorry three nil. Then lost the next uh, in the third round at home to Vélez four nil. But since then, two one over Racing. Uh, 5-3 over Kilmes which illustrates your point perfectly fantastic going forward <laughs> awful defending um, and then 2-0 against Central in their last home game um, a week and a half ago um, so yeah I mean it's uh, they've certainly got the, the, the run of form yeah, since that Vélez defeat they've won 5 drawn 1 and lost 1 yeah but, but apart from that they went to River when it looked like like Riano was was going to appear because he they, he scored some goals and and, and Penko that scored mm-hmm. against Racing, the only one that is scoring is Panquecho. Yeah, he's he's very good. His skill is really is brilliant right now, but he he appears to be the only one. If he can't be in, in one match because, well, let's let's think he won't be injured. But if he's not for one match, for example, there. Uh, the responsibility of scoring goals will be in the players that now are not uh, doing so good, like Reano, like I know Paul Penko is not being Lucero would come back. Yes, Lucero or, or or Pisano, who is not a goal scorer. No, I mean I, I, I think the Pisano had a big part to play in the Godoy Cruz game. I mean, I thought his his assist for Manquecho's the first goal was was excellent. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like, goals are not part of his game. So if he were to take, if something was to happen to Macquarie, God forbid. Um, yeah, you would like struggle some to see where regular yeah. goals would come from. Uh, we heard uh, some of the main talking points from the other matches uh, in Olimpo versus Estudiantes. Uh, I've only just realised because it was played a couple of hours before River Boca, so I didn't see it at all. I was already in the stadium by the time it kicked off. Uh, but Nestor Moyaragi scored at both ends. Um, he. Uh, put Estudiantes 2-0 up with an own goal in the 55th minute and then he scored for Olimpo himself six minutes later um, with a header apparently it says here um, others we said that we were going to mention uh, no we didn't we said we were going to mention Racing against Atletico de Rafaela and that is because on last week's podcast we were discussing in the non-super classical section whether Racing had just hit a little bit of form again they were looking confident they'd won 
two and drawn the previous one. I think the the record in the previous three matches was uh, one draw, uh, which was at home to Newell's Old Boys, one one, and then two consecutive wins. Of course, they came back. Um, in the last 34 minutes of that called off match to beat Boca 2-1 and then they thrashed Belgrano 4-1 in Cordoba, both of those away and so of course the return to El Cilindro meant a 2-0 defeat at home to Atletico de Rafaela who historically are not very good away from home um, they must and have after which circumstances correct yes exactly <laughs> um, after which I learned that Sergio Vitor the uh, Atletico de Rafaela defender who scored their opening goal Possibly the fastest talker in the Spanish-speaking world. I couldn't understand a word of his post-match interview. They asked him a couple of uh, Because of, 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 of speed or because he doesn't speak very well? To me, it seemed like he was talking incredibly fast. I caught the word independiente and I afterwards, of course, read. And Andres, as well, pointed out to me that he was an independiente player before and so he'd enjoyed his first goal for that reason. And apart from that, I think I caught about two other words in the two-minute-long interview. It was just terrifyingly quick. Um... But he, he scored the first and, and uh, Paul Fernandez scored the second, both very late on. Uh, Vito put them 1-0 up in the 77th minute, um, but just typical racing, really. They hit the woodwork four Lots times. Of yes. yes, and Paul Fernandez was choking, like, they had to fix the, the, the goals because they had a lot of posts, he, uh, a lot of shots that hit the post. So, yeah, it, he, it was like that. Uh, I think three or four hits in the post and then... Uh, to plays with not a very a very good defense from Racing, from a chance to beat her the first goal. I I, I tweet that also. Mm. If, uh, apart from having a lot of shots in the uh, hits uh, in the post that he did a lot a lot of shots in the post, the two players that had to do with the goal were from Independiente former Independiente players, because chance was also a player from Independiente and Vitor another one so ah, yeah so that is f- to to add more more uh, <laughs> anger to to racing fans or supporters indeed uh, but for those of us who aren't racing fans or supporters it was tremendously entertaining i managed to get home from the super classico and then have a nice steaming hot shower for about half an hour and then got out and enjoyed that match and just spent it laughing it my was, ass off it was brilliant this round was the round of the center backs because they scored a lot of goals Apart from Lisandro Magallan and Vesela, Peter, I think he was playing like a centre back. Yeah. Even though he is more centre centre midfielder, mm. Moyagi, Shunke. Oh, Shunke, of course, yeah, you're quite yeah, right. Estudiantes, so he scored their first one. Yeah. Moyagi, who mentioned you mentioned, so it was a lot of of scores of goals scored by 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 centre backs. Indeed, there were. Yeah. Oh. Um, Elsewhere, sorry, Peter, were you about to say something? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> elsewhere, uh, decent performance from Tigre, I have to say, against San Lorenzo on on Saturday. Um, their record now since Gustavo Alfaro has taken charge. I think the last time you recorded Peter was uh, when Fabian Allegra had just been sacked, yeah. and you were mentioning that um, Javier Garcia, the Tigre goalkeeper, would be very sorry to see Allegra go because of his clean sheet record under him and the fact that Garcia was not previously a very good goalkeeper. Um, but Tigre's record under Allegre this season read one victory, one draw, four defeats in the league. If we ignore the Copa Argentina exit to Rosario Central, then Tigre's record under Alfaro so far in three matches reads played three, won three. It's 
quite an upturn in form, isn't it? Is this a new manager boost, or is it a manager who perhaps was struggling, as I hinted at the time, I think, to, to get the most out of some fairly decent attacking players at Tigre, and has been replaced now by a manager who, OK, still very much safety first, but has got a bit more of an idea how to let them run right at the other end. Because I think two of our favourites, in fact, only two of my favourites, uh, not just at Tigre, but in, in the division. Uh, and and they've one pending match with, against Gode Cruz for... Of course, yeah, they have, yeah. Yes. Um, but yet, uh, um, Lucas Wilches was, was involved in the first goal. In fact, he scored it after 29 minutes. The second came from uh, Sebastián Rincón. Um, but yeah, they've, they've got the match against Godoy Cruz, which was from the eighth round of matches. That's still to come in Mendoza. The spring, the spring weekend. Yes, yeah. because the Mendoza police couldn't find enough men to, to free up the stadium. Plus, it's in the middle of a big park, yes. so that's probably yes, the park. The park where the yeah, the park where the party was being celebrated it was near the stadium, and it was very, very difficult to take people away and, and make the the play be, be the, the game be played. So it's but still, Alfaro's doing well, even though he's only played three, not four. Um, that's that's a pretty good record, especially for a side who was severely struggling for goals and before he came in. Um, so well done, Gustavo Alfaro. Andres? No, no, I was going to point out that the the, the first goal I, I watched, the Wilches goal, was a blooper from Fontanini, I think. He was playing there. And, mm. uh, the ball was up from him, from his head. He didn't reach it, and, and Wilches was with all the, the goal for him, and uh, he beat Torrico easily. Indeed. This is where we're going to take a, a pause and uh, I'm going to refill my glass. Andres is barely drunk, it's now I feel like an alcoholic because I've almost finished my pizza that's gone down to it. This is just English people with one Argentine, that's, that's the difference here. Um, I don't feel quite as bad now. Um, we're going to refill our glasses, well, Peter and I are, um, and we shall come back in a minute and we shall answer some questions. No, we won't, no, we're going to talk about. We, we have one more subject of conversation, in fact, before we get on to the questions. Um, but for now, don't go anywhere. is another one of those occasions on Hand of Pod which I know that all of you listeners love to hear which is when we talk about the fascinating world of politics in Argentine football um, because, as we mentioned in passing last week, Juan Sebastián Berón uh, was standing for the election um, of the Estudiantes presidency the vote happened on Saturday and he won it, we were all expecting this of course, um, he won it with 75% of the vote um, there were 20,000 fans, I think it was, who were eligible to vote. Something like 7,000 of them did, and 75% of them voted for Veron. So he is, as of Thursday, the day that this podcast goes online, that's when he takes charge officially. Uh, that's when his mandate begins as club president, which is something that he's made very clear that he always wanted to do from the age, I mean, well, from when he was playing in Europe. Uh, it became apparent that he was going to do this one day. He was, of course, mentioned by Julio Grondona ahead of the 2010 World Cup. As Grondona's, Grondona said, if he ends up succeeding me as AFA president, then that would be fantastic. Um, 
Um, there's an article in Clarine today, which I was reading over a, an afternoon sandwich, um, which uh, talks about the how exciting it is to have these young uh, directors coming into Argentine football now. Marcelo Tinelli, of course, the San Lorenzo vice president and major media mogul um, in Argentina is, is one of the people, and Veron is another, who are both thought to have pretty good chances of one day being AFA president. How exciting is this for Argentine football? I mean, is it possible, let's say, to be more excited by the idea of Beron one day being after president, bearing in mind that Grondona likes the idea as well? I mean, overall, it seems like a pretty good idea, but if Grondona likes him, then something's got to be wrong, right? Looks like Segura, Crespi, and, and, and those uh, uh, board members of the AFA like some, want someone to be there to to make things easier for them because Verón is not he's just starting as a president and and he he was clear when he said that being became becoming an, uh, the alpha president would be a good possibility for the future not for now we have to see we have to still still to see whether he will do a good uh, presidents or not in, at estudiantes and then we we, we can see we we can't uh, deny that Veroni is a strong uh, character of, of politics in the in this case he was for football but we can't uh, just say that he will be a good candidate because he he's not has no history he's has he has just won the elections so uh, for me it's like something that uh, the, the 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 board members that are right now because of, uh, Grondona died is to put someone in order to to make the, make things easier for them. Uh, Segura, Crespi, and, and, and those that are other people that I don't remember right now. There are all the same some whispers that the AFA are considering uh, rewriting their own constitution. The AFA constitution currently states that you have to be involved directly uh, by being the director of a club in club football for four years before you can stand for AFA president. Um, they're considering, apparently, rewriting that clause to allow specifically to allow Tinelli and Veron, Tinelli and slash or Veron, um, to stand for president next year because there's a kind of a... I think, do you see that as a recognition that maybe there's a bit of a power vacuum and a generation vacuum as well between the directors at the moment? You've got Segura, who very much is of... Grandona's maybe not quite as old as Grandona, but of the same generation, and the huge gap to, to how modern football is run in most countries now. Where Veron, of course, got the whole but, idea when he was playing in Europe with Platini being in charge of UEFA with Beckenbauer and so on doing what Young people doesn't mean it's not the same like like being the coach of a of a team, because for example we are we are, we have mentioned a lot of times here that uh, Gallardo, Arroarena, Coca, Franco. I, I, I of course may may forget some 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 coaches have given fresh air to Argentine football because they are giving football a, a more attractive uh, way of playing to their teams. But directing the the, the, the uh, football association is not the same. It's not as easy as as being the coach of a team. So we can't say that. Of course, we 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 need new people that are, are are eager to to manage football and do it in a way in a good way but 
Verón, Antinelli have no experience on this is key. We can't put anyone because he, they are new and they have power and they have money and, and they Verón uh, have had a lot of uh, experience uh, uh, inside the pitch, not outside. So we can't put it, put him as a as a strong name for uh, being the candidate candidate for presidents just because he's Verón. Of course, it wouldn't make sense to. That doesn't necessarily, of course, mean that the AFA aren't going to anyway. Um, but no, you're, you's saying that it, uh, it defies logic to do so at this stage of his directorial. And we know that AFA uh, is not logic. No, uh, logical, but. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think I mean it, it, it's exciting to see a new name at least. Enrique Lombardi. Lombardi. Enrique Lombardi is the man who. Um, who Beron's replacing as a Estudiantes president and he's got I mean something to live up to right because Lombardi was in charge for the Libertadores win wasn't he still yes. and for the, the Club World Cup final and very close to legendary Club World Cup win with Alejandro Savela as manager when Beron was still a player of course um, but uh, some some new ground being trodden um, by uh, a name who's going to be familiar to lots of our listeners of course by, by Beron um, just now and now I think. Sorry, sorry, if you're asking for people, for example, or for names that have done things good in in in, in different teams, for example, Maron from Lanús. Mm. Lanús is a club that has has been doing uh, the the ones that have been uh, as presidents or, or board members have been doing uh, 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 managing the club very very efficiently. Maron, uh, Nicolas Russo. Nicolas Russo is not anymore in the club. He's, I think, he's more in general politics, but in, in, in Ranus district. But uh, Maron or Gámez from Vélez, the former Vélez president, are people that have the experience to and know what to do. There are two things here. The first is Gámez is it is or is not the ex Padre Brava who fought with English yeah. hooligans at the World Cup quarter final <laughs> in 1996 and has a photograph of it or had a photograph of it when he was president as of Independiente um, up on his office wall according to Joel who went to interview him one day um, so that, that, that's that's one thing to point out Gamis is an ex Brava having an ex Brava as president of a club is one thing having him as president of the AFA would be another thing entirely and the other thing as you mentioned um, in passing there Maron's predecessor as Lanús president whose name I've forgotten Nicolás Russo thank you um, is now involved in local politics and this is another thing that we can't get away from talking about when we talk about potential successors to Segura slash Grondona as AFA president because actual real life politics comes into it so much one of the reasons that Tinelli is seen as an attractive option is that he has stood up to the national government over AFA related things even this year before he had any um, direct involvement with them uh, he's now of course the president uh, the the, uh, the head of communications at the AFA but back in January when there was talk about renewing and, and renewing the image of Football Paratodos Tinelli was going to be the producer of that and he fell out with Christina Kirchner the, the Argentine president over how that was going to be done um, and there are some presidents within club presidents who make up the AFA executive committee because it's made up by I think it's the 20 Primera Presidents plus a select number from each of the lower divisions, right? Something yeah. like that. Yes. Um, who liked the fact that Tinelli wasn't afraid to, to make his mind, uh, to make his thoughts known, whereas Grondona had, had just sort of very much allowed the government to, to do... Let's say Grondona had made friends with, with the government because uh, he's a bit more calculating than just letting them walk all over him himself. Or he was. Fortunately, we're talking about him in the past tense now. 
But the point is, Maron, um, the current Lanús president, is seen as the uh, preferred candidate of certain factions within, I think it's the uh, the Kirchnerist, the, i.e. people sympathetic to the current national government. Then you have Juan Carlos Crespi, Daniel Angelisi, the, the vice president and the president of Boca Juniors at present, who are very clearly Mauricio Macri's men, Mauricio Macri being the current mayor of Buenos Aires and former president of Boca Juniors. Um, you have Rodolfo Donofrio, the current River president, who is seen as, as uh, being um, uh, favoured by another faction of the Kirchnerista national government sympathisers, apparently. Uh, you have Tinelli, who's somewhere in between all the lot of them and, and has enough influence over national what, what's visible on a national level media-wise to... But to as far as, as the Constitution is, is, is now, which is... Uh, what, uh, until they they modify that constitution, which means which points out that you have to be at least four years in a club to uh, have the possibility to 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 well be candidate of, mm. of, of, a, of a president. You have Angelisi, for example, or well Crespi. You 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 heard Crespi talking, la, last last week saying we're talking about next October. Let's not forget. So it yes. could. Possibly, but there, there no, might be other options opened up. No, no, free is out up, up to now. I say yeah. now, perhaps tomorrow they say, yes, we have modified the constitution and now we're on. No, no, I, I mean, it has to be four years next October at present. So we're, yes. we'll be talking about people who, came, who were in in October 2011, uh, basically. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so well, Nofrio, no, 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 how many years is. Oh, last year. I think he's been uh, vice of San Lorenzo. Well, it's not enough. So. But no, which is precisely, of course, why they're thinking about amending them. But my point was just to make that you can't talk about Argentine football politics without talking about Argentine politics um, as well. Because whoever is president of the AFA is going to have a major say over one of the the main government, perhaps not one of the government's most important programmes, but certainly the government's arguably the most visible programme, which is Football para todos, Football for All. and, and so the relationship with the AFA, between the AFA and the national government fluid, yeah. is, is going to be huge. And of course, yes. there are national government elections at more or less the same time as the next AFA election. Three, so there are three major elections. So next, yes. this time next year is going to be a very interesting time to be listening to Hand of Pod. Um, of course, every week is an interesting time to listen to Hand of Pod, uh, but particularly this time next year. Um, so, so make sure that you're doing so still in a year's time. Now let's get on to some listeners' questions. I won't play any music. We'll just go straight into them. Uh, Ian Matheson asks, has a few questions. He says, as a River fan, I'm very angry about tonight's, he sent these on Sunday, obviously, uh, Super Classico going ahead. Conditions were a farce and they took any element of skill out of the game. It was also dangerous for the players. Can you explain the politics, that word again, behind playing this game when any other would have been called off? Uh, no doubt TV had the final say, but this was the most ridiculous game I have ever seen. I'd like to say a couple of things before we get into answering that. The first thing, and, and sorry, no, as a, as a beginning to answering that is, is better to put it. Uh, the first thing, of course, is as we mentioned earlier, AFA and the referees' college union thingy have both denied that uh, Vigliano was leaned on to make sure the game went ahead. However, there is this Saturday, uh, Saturday morning Argentine time, um, being played in Beijing, that's in, yes, that is in China, 
um, a friendly between Argentina and Brazil. The one-off now, not two-legged anymore, and no longer between just teams from the local leagues. But it's the Super Clásico de las Américas. It's the new edition of it. Um, and there are a couple of players, one player on each team, particularly River and Boca, who have been called up for that. Those players are Leonel Angioni for River and yeah. Fernando Gago, funnily enough, who got sent off um, for Boca. And if that if the match had been called off and played 24 hours later, they wouldn't have been able to play. And I don't think either River or Boca would have And Colombia also are, is playing some... Oh, some Colombia are playing as well, yeah, which would have meant the tail wouldn't have been available for, for and River. And will. Well, Valante didn't play, but yeah, he, he wouldn't have been uh, available either. Um, so I don't think either side would have stood for a 24-hour delay, uh, or, or obviously 48-hour or 76-hour Um and the other 72 hour in fact um, and the other point was that if it delayed it then it becomes increasingly difficult to work out when they'll be able to play it because River is still in the Copa Argentina they play on Thursday in the quarter final against thank you very much uh, or rather their reserves do but still that's another matter um, and uh, both sides are still in the Copa Sudamericana and could go some way into the Copa Sudamericana it's the quarter final I think isn't it they're now in and they play that in a couple of weeks time no, it's quarterfinals of Copa Argentina and round of 16 of... Oh, is it only the round of 16 of the Super Mario yes. Okay, fine. Um, so, so finding the dates to play it, it would, would have been complicated enough. So that, that's one thing that is maybe to be considered. But the other thing, in my opinion, is that if we cast some doubt on the AFA statement that they didn't lean on Vigliano to play the game, in other words, if we think that maybe they did a little bit, yes. they really made a rod for their own back in allowing Boca against Racing to go ahead a couple of weeks ago. Because the pitch for Boca against Racing, which was, what, three weeks ago, was it? Yeah. Two weeks ago? Three weeks ago, whatever. Um, but the, the pitch for that was far worse than the one at Mental. As we say, Boca Racing had been really quite heavy rain about a mile almost directly south of where we're sitting now. Um, and it was quite heavy rain for several hours before the game, and it had been raining for the whole day ahead of the match River the other day A the drainage system at the Monumental is, is better than, than, than La Bombonera B Nunez is ever so slightly higher so it's not as much of an issue in the first place and C as I mentioned earlier the really heavy rain didn't kick in until about an hour or less than an hour before kickoff, and I suspect that's what ended up being the standing surface water on the on the grass because I couldn't see much with the teams it. there with, the, with people there when you've already got 60,000 yeah. people okay on the TV at the point where, where the decision was made it might have looked like the stands were were only half full but I can I promise you because I was there Joel would say the same if he was here as well that the concourse underneath the top tier was already full uh, they were waiting to keep dry and then to come out shortly before the match when you've already got 60,000 people basically in the stadium and they've all been waiting for two, two and a half, three hours prior to kick-off A, it takes a very brave referee especially in the Argentine security situation uh, to send all those people home and tell them to come back the next day um, and B, it's the Super Classico it's the one day where not just all of Argentina but playing all Monday means playing at night and we yeah, complications and the whole world is watching. You know, it's not just a whole country looking at a normal league game; it's the planet watching Argentina. You can't postpone that game. In in these people's minds, I'm not. I, in my opinion, it should have been postponed. Um, yeah, but I think in another way, that's also a bit of a, a bit of a shame that it's the one game that the whole world watches, and they end up <laughs> making themselves look stupid. Yeah. But of course, there was a, a postponed Super Classico four years ago, right? Two thousand and ten. 
which ended up having to be postponed by uh, yeah. 48 hours, was it, or something like that, two days, three days, uh, being played on a Wednesday yes. evening, not night as such, but kind of six or seven o'clock in the evening, I think it was. Um, so it's been done, but yeah, absolutely, the referee, Vigliano, shot the bed on that uh, one. Well, I think it was, I don't, uh, as we, I think we've already hinted at, we're, we're probably all a bit sceptical of everyone washing their hands and saying oh no it's the referee's decision without any influence yes um, I, I, I think the referee had a shocking game anyway but I don't necessarily lay the blame completely at Vigliano's door for, for the game going ahead uh, and I think all those factors you mentioned plus perhaps I also heard that Riff obviously had already had to pay for all the policing mm-hmm. of the event had that yes. been postponed one million Argentine pesos would then have to pay again um, so I don't think River would have been too happy about having to do that with their finan- well not, mm. not just their financial situation they're, they're, they're common within the Argentinian financial <laughs> football clubs within Argentina but that's another factor I think indeed yeah um, next question is from Hispanospherical uh, which is uh, I recommend actually it's a Twitter feed which uh, covered uh, Latin American well actually Spanish and Latin American um, speaking players all around the world follow them the, it's at Darren Spherical um, and he asks I've been looking into Argentine born players who've been naturalised to play for other nations and I was wondering whether any have ever turned out for Brazil Andres we're looking at you you're the Argentine player born, born Argentine but played for Brazil do you know any? not now I don't remember anyone nor can I I can't think of any but he then goes on to ask alternatively have any Brazil born players swung the other way Andres do you know of any no. I'm looking quite smug here because I do know of one I happened to read about him last night when I should have been working uh, he's called Aaron Wergifka it's a wonderful surname and it is spelled W-E-R-G-I-F-K-E-R uh, he was born in San Paulo to a Russian I think it is um, to Russian parents who were fleeing the First World War in 1914. He then moved at a very young age um, to Buenos Aires and ended up playing for River in the 1930s um, and played something like 116 games for Argentina. Not 116, that would make him one of the record holders. Uh, but he played according to his Wikipedia. Yes, 116 according to Wikipedia, that can't possibly be true, but he played for Argentina. Um, and yes, he was known as Brazuka. Fittingly and, and perhaps obviously and yes. unimaginatively enough. Uh, he's still alive. He was born on the 15th of August 1914. He's 100 oh. years old, and according to Wikipedia, he is still alive. Um, he retired in. Oh, yeah, he retired at Platense in 1946. Um, so there you go, that's one. And as far as I know, he's the only one. And the article that I found about him says that he's the only. Brazilian-born player to have played for Argentina, but there is entirely coincidentally an answer to your question, um, Darren, which I'm delighted to be able to give, having only first found out about him myself less than 24 hours ago. Um, what are the attitudes towards this kind of thing? I don't know what they would have been at the time, because we're talking 1930s, 1940s when he played for Argentina, um, so I can't really answer that one. I suspect possibly not much. Brazil weren't much of a team at that point, so who knows? Uh, the rivalry was much stronger with Uruguay, of course. Well, there was a time in which the you you weren't uh, it was necessary to play for uh, 
for uh, you could play for your your national team, the, the the team in which for the country you you were born, mm. and then you could play for another national team. Yeah. Anyway, in now it's impossible. So. Well, when Mufka, um, from what I read, from what I think, I think he moved to Argentina when he was very small and has lived here ever since, basically. Uh, so it would be slightly different in his case. But yeah, of course, Argentines, even by that point, were already used to players having played for Argentina and then moving to Italy, particularly, yeah. and, and playing for Italy. Um, other questions we have had. Uh, Leo Rosamano says, What is with the no playing time for Balanta? He doesn't even get a Copa Argentina game. It's difficult to understand. Of course, as we kind of hinted at already, he's not in tomorrow evening, Thursday evening's Copa Argentina game because he's away with Colombia. Um, but why isn't he being played? Well, I mean, you two are River fans, but I would hint, I would, I would go with the fact that he was injured at the start of the season. Yeah. And in his absence, River's defence has been outstanding. So indeed, and it'd be very Morris come in and made himself basically. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it would have looked a bit odd if Gachado had just suddenly dropped a backline that was not conceding any goals whatsoever mm. uh, that would be my reading of it anyway. Andres? Yes the the problem he, the, the World Cup was uh, very good for him but at the same time uh, he, it brought, brought complications for, for him playing for River because when when preseason started he was not here mm. and Funes Mori was here so uh, Gallardo had to choose for him and, and the, the the performance gave him the the reason to put him uh, have, into the team. There have been one or two River fans who I saw asking on Twitter um, in the wake of Matthias Kranovic's injury, which we have a question about in a minute, um, whether it would be a good idea to try Balanta as number five because Poncio, of course, is that slightly more destructive and not quite as creative as Kranovic. And Balanta started out, as, in fact, he started out as number 10, and then he got withdrawn to number 5 in the youth ranks and he ended up playing centre back. Gallardo um, told Balanta wasn't being uh, to be tried as, as a number 5, as a centre midfielder. Proof is that he named, named, and I saw you tweet him tweeting that, uh, that Sigiliano will be into the squad for uh, going to San Luis, uh, San Juan, sorry and play for Copa Argentina against uh, Rosario Central. Which is basically a reserve squad, we should point out, but past the thinking of putting Siri Piano in there, um, is that Cachado wants to see whether he can get up to match fitness in time to potentially replace Kranovita for the rest of the championship as an alternative to Poncio, let's say, rather than dropping yes. Poncio altogether for that performances, because that's not the case. But, but Alvarez Valanda will have some... I think we, he will have some minutes at least, because it will depend, of course, of, of the number of matches... Of of uh, the ba- depends on the ban of of to Rogelio Funes, uh, Ramiro Funes Mori because it was said that he will be given off. three matches. He yes. was sent off towards the end of the Super Classico, yes. as we forgot to mention. Uh, he was sent off for that was a much more clear cut red card. It must be if he ha- he was given three matches, Balanta will have at least one or two matches to to be there. Sure. It's n- of course not a, the perfect situation. But you have to put 11 players in the, in the pitch. So. Of course, Funes Mori is going to be suspended this weekend. Well, Balanta is not going to be available because he's away with Colombia. So uh, yes. it'll be at least another week before we and, and see him. But. Yes, for that, Gachardo will ask the what is said here, the Article 225, which means that when a player uh, from the squad is into a national team, the, the, the band, band one can be into starting 11. Until that player comes so. back, yeah. 
Well, uh, I would have thought just uh, Juan Pesetta would just play protected as a normal position. Really. That would make sense as well. No, but will be. I think the the, the centre backs will be Pesela to give some rest to to Maidana and Fulis Mori, who will be uh, in conditions oh, because okay. of this article of 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 Balanta being today with the national Colombian team, and after that match, he will he will uh, uh, be banned. Well, he will will have to. To, to serve a suspension yes. later on. Okay. Article 225 fascinates me because it suggests that there are at least 224 other articles in the AFA rulebook, and I've never heard of any of them, but everybody goes on about Article 225. Because the most famous is that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's remarkable. It's almost as if discipline was a problem here and players get suspended all the time. Uh, Leo Rosamano also asks uh, another question for the podcast, and I I won't say argued, but I, uh, I, I, I took issue with this one slightly on Twitter with him uh, earlier, and he had replied to that as well. He says, what is with the crappy drainage systems in, in Argentine Stadia? Lots of rain in the Premier League, and you never see stuff like this. I responded that, um, you, I, I sort of asked him, uh, you do realise that we're talking about different countries, and that Argentina perhaps doesn't have quite the same facilities as, as the UK does, it's, it's you know one of them's a first world country and one of them's not, with no disrespect meant to undress, um, as the Argentine here. But he says uh, even so, it, it strikes in that proper pitch drainage is something that most clubs should be capable of. Another point that he made, and which actually I agree with, and I was wondering about when Boca um, versus Racing got called off, and then Arsenal River, of course, later that same evening didn't even kick off. Why can't they just get a fucking massive tarpaulin and spread it on the pitch when they know that there's heavy rain forecast? Because that would keep the pitch playable, surely. You take it off half an hour before the game. Yeah. You know, like, they, like, like they're doing in tennis, tennis courts. What's wrong with that? Why, why does nobody think of this stuff? I, perhaps it's why because of the... Why the president? <laughs> the dimensions of, of, the, of, the, of the pitch is far bigger than well, a, yeah, that's why you need a big tarpaulin if you put yeah. a tennis court size one it's not going to do very much you, you, you always see a, a couple of guys running with with dressers or something like that mm. to, to put some water out of, this, of the pitch which is of course hilarious I particularly enjoyed actually with the the Boca Racing game which you obviously said already was absolutely awful and Racing, uh, Boca employed it looked like just one guy with a leaf blower out yes, on, yeah, on the yeah. pitch, just trying to blow <laughs> surface all off the pitch. And, uh, yeah, there was actually uh, there was a guy standing, I would say probably over to my right, and maybe a couple of, of uh, steps up the terrace uh, when when the referee was coming out and stamping about a bit on the pitch, and obviously they were checking how playable it was going to be. Who, who shouted out? This isn't Larry Berry, you know. It doesn't flood here. Come on, you can play the fucking thing. <laughs> Larry Vera being another name for, for La Boca, um, the, the riverside uh, area that, that, that the stadium was in, um, which I found quite amusing given that it had quite visibly flooded uh, potential foot in mouth situation. But no, absolutely, uh, it's a combination of, of the two factors, as I say. First of all, facilities in Argentina are not what they are in Western Europe and, and North America. That has to do with economic, economics. Um, the other thing is that the rain here is. You know, it rains a lot in England. It would be facetious or, or disingenuous to deny that it rains a lot in England. But whilst it rains a lot and it can rain very constantly, it doesn't generally rain quite as heavily and constantly at the same time uh, as it's capable of doing here. We're talking Northern European temperate climate, lots of precipitation versus subtropical downpours that switch on and off like the flick of a switch. Um, 
So I think that that might have something. And, to do and with it as weather well. forecast is as, isn't as good as the UK one, I think, also, because it was said that by the time of no, the that's, match, that's true. It will be raining, and it was raining more heavily. Eighteen hours before yes. the match kicked off, it was already raining. Um, but yeah, I mean, Leo actually mentions the, the tarpaulin as well. Baseball, apparently, they, they, they do that there. Um, he, he's got a point. I think he's being perhaps slightly too harsh, given that, as we say, we're, we're talking about different economies and different uh, places in the world. But uh, he does have a point that there should be uh, planning put down, particularly for the Super Classic. Yeah, in the third world and, and stadiums are third world stadiums, so <laughs> don't, don't ask for magical solutions. Well, the drainage system at Rivers you yeah, that's the yeah. thing. Is, you know, they're not all terrible stadiums, they're not falling apart. So. Uh, Liam Kelly says, in the B Nationale, who would you say are the 10 teams which, are, uh, which look like earning promotion? And also, separate question, should River prioritise the league or the Copa Sudamericana? Let's take the second one first, because I think it's far easier, the league. Yes, for me too, because it will be the B champion up to from eight years, I think, that is not... By champions, meaning two two titles in a row, yes. which hasn't been done, not just by River, but by any club in Argentina. I think since River won it for two years running in 2004, no? Yes. Um, a decade ago, yeah. which sounds remarkable, but I'm pretty sure that that's true. Um, in the B, how much attention have we been paying to second division matches which haven't involved Juan Román Riquelme? <laughs> Everybody. Uh, passing. Some of and Juan Ginese who yeah. look look like they are the ones the stronger ones, but uh, Argentinian juniors who whose oh, players have uh, some some problems with <laughs> stomach aches and, and yeah. intoxications. Uh, in in Group A, which is the group Argentinos are in, is is how it's most widely known by Argentine fans, at least in Buenos Aires these days. Um, Let's not forget that the, the second division this season is 22, this half season is 22 teams split into two groups of 11 and the top five, after everybody's played everyone else home and away in December, will go up from each of those groups. So as Andres quite rightly says, San Martín de San Juan currently top of Group A and Group A also, they've got 22 points and elsewhere, um, Colón have 19, Gimnasio de Jujuy have 19, Boca Unidos uh, have 18 and Nueva Chicago have 16 that's the top 5 Argentinos are 6th with 14 uh, but have picked up form a little bit after a slightly iffy start of the season um, Aldo Civi have 13 Douglas Haig uh, has the field marshal has 12 um, and then Guarani Guarani at Franco Guarani Antonio Franco never heard of before the start of the season <laughs> have 9 points Ferro have 8 and Instituto de Cordoba have 7 even then, they're only nine points behind fifth place over Chicago with half of the campaign still to go. They've all played 11 games apart from a couple who've played 10. Uh, so, you know, we're talking halfway through. Uh, it's, it's quite difficult to, to say. Uh, in Group B, Crucero del Norte, the other of the two bus company clubs, Defensa Justicia being the other ones, who we were hoping all the way through last season were going to come up because it would have been hilarious to see them in the Primera. They're top of Group B. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're they continuing last season's good exactly, form. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Con- consistently in and around the, the promotion spots last season, so that's not that much of a surprise, I suppose. Um, but we will see. If, it, it would if kind it, of dampen the achievement, though, wouldn't it? If, if they finally have the Primera, and it's partly as a result of there being a 30 fucking team Primera for a year and a half before they go back to Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with this. <laughs> ridiculous. But uh, they've got 20 points. Atletico Tucumán have 19, as the dogs begin the chorus. Uh, Welcome, dogs. Atletico Tucumán have 19. <laughs> Tempele have 17. And uh, Unión are fourth with 14. And Sarmiento have 
sorry, Unión de Fort is 16 and Sarmiento have 14. Independiente Rivadavia de Mendoza have 13, All Boys have 13, Patronato de Paraná have 12, Santa Marina de Tandil, uh, Club and Library, Ramon Santa Marina de Tandil have 11, and Oracan have 10, and Sportivo Belgrano have 9. So even there, you've actually got, you've only got 5 points behind the bottom club and the club in the final promotion spot. So really, it is, uh, it's partly, we can't give an answer to that because we haven't been paying that much attention yet to the second division, but it's also partly that those divisions are ridiculously close. I mean, in Group B, there are 11 points between the top club yes, and the bottom But we will have to see, and um, for sure, the, the next president will have to decide that if... Well, no, this president has to decide. No, no, but if there are 10, 10 uh, promotions, then if there are 10 relations, because... But that has to be decided before yes. the next president comes in, because by the time the next president comes in, you're going to be halfway through that season. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a much more immediate question than that. But it looks certainly at the moment, if the big clubs get their way, and for once we're saying, hopefully the big clubs get their way, that the Primera is only going to be a 30-team division for, for a year and a half as we apologise as ever for the dogs. Uh, Toby Millard says, How is Fernando Redondo viewed in Argentina? He seems like the one that got away as far as the national team is concerned. Andres? Sorry? Fernando Redondo. Yes. How do Argentines think of him in terms of his national team performances? Is he fondly remembered? Do you wish he played more he or was, less? Or yes, he was brilliant. His skill, his performance, his way of playing. Fundamentally, he, when Mirza was the coach, he finally is, uh, resigned to the to the national team. Uh, I, I don't remember why. If if there was the, the 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 that something similar to Bielsa that didn't have any, any more energies or something like that. But uh, uh, when uh, as as long as he played for for the national team it was very it was nice to to, to watch him because. Uh, 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 a kind of players that now aren't a lot because you, you could say Gago is similar in the style of play but nothing to do it in terms of of, of of he was consistent and he played for Real Madrid a lot of time Gago had a lot of, uh, had the same uh, place in terms of having played also for Real Madrid but not the the, the time and the and the success of, of yeah and I think Redondo had more strings to his bow than than Gago, like in terms of yes. being able to actually yeah. run with the ball, beat players, and it's phenomenal. Uh, there was a time I think uh, one of one example was against Paraguay in in Asuncion uh, for the I think nineteen ninety eight uh, qualifiers uh, that he was wonderful. He scored goals. He he. Uh, uh, he was key, a key man for 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 national team, and uh, unfortunately, as I said, he didn't play a lot of time or the time that uh, we would love to to watch him play, because he 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 was very 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 smart and very uh, effective and well. It was uh, such a pity he 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 left the, the national team. Now I don't remember exactly the the, the date. I think it was by 1904 or five. No, no, just uh, some some years uh, before. I think it was Bielsa there and as a coach mm. when he decided not to play any more for 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 Argentine national team. Uh, 
Yeah, but overall, yeah. in terms of how Argentines view him generally, I don't. Yeah. There's not much talk of him, but they're aware that he was a good player. Yes, and it's, it's not. Uh, he's not forgotten about that. So. Any any uh, anyone that loved to watch European or, or Champions, Champions League matches will remember the play when against Manchester United. They, you know, Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. About <laughs> Sorry, that. but well. Uh, it was quite brilliant. Anytime you see, watch uh, 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 like uh, 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 the player, the most uh, important place or, or the best place from Redondo, you will see that. Play. Yeah, the, the back heel around Gary Neville. Yes. I think it was Gary Neville, wasn't it? Um, Mr. Numbers asks Is Rivers' apparent decline in form the result of the absence of Kranavita? I said we had a question about Kranavita's injury. Um, I think we've kind of answered that one already. I think that as much as anything, it's happened to coincide with a couple of consecutive, very difficult away matches in which a draw wasn't a particularly bad result, plus the Super Classico in which the water sort of meant that form and everything went out the window to be honest to a certain extent as well as as well as the Derby rivalry so I, I don't know about Andres but personally as a River fan I'm not too concerned about that at the moment although we have got another very difficult away trip coming up this weekend I, I want to watch a, a match with a dry uh, pitch again uh, because of and, and against opponents that were clear favourites against because yes. as we say Arsenal away Lanús away Boca at home in the rain is, is sort of Perhaps not quite as, as, as clear as playing defence against Now it is news in Rosario in Parque Independencia and then Belgrano in, in, at the Monumental, mm. hoping that they won't rain again. <laughs> so uh, we're into spring now, so hopefully. Yeah. I'm, I'm wearing my shorts today, um, still at the moment, even though it's now 10 to 9 uh, pm. So, you know, hopefully now we're into the proper spring and not into the crappy bit of spring where it's raining all the bloody time. Um, and, and, and we'll get that before it gets too hot for Gachado's high-tempo pressing game to become effective, because they'll get knackered too easily, uh, which will probably happen in about, ooh, what do we think, early to mid-November, maybe? Temperatures yeah. go up. and yeah. Yeah. I, I think that uh, attendance is... is uh, to, to, for me, it's attendance to having passed round 10 and, and, and looking at the position table and being river at the top, and having kept that for since... The second uh, round or third? Fourth. fourth? Well, fourth is when... No, sorry, the fifth, because Vélez... River drew the first match and then had the long winning run, whereas Vélez won their first four games. So the fifth round, when Vélez lost to Boca. And now they... Well, no, River they've lost everything. They've lost before that, didn't they? But, well. but since then, Vélez have struggled. But basically, that, that would have been when River would have gone well. first, when, was when that happened. It's uh, half of the tournament uh, gone, and, and so, of course, not the difference, or clear difference... That was before, but uh, they are still there. So uh, I think that and st- I think still firm favourites. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, after this weekend, they're going to have played most of their main rivals. Racing away, I think, have still got to come. Uh, let me just check that. After this weekend, they play Newell's away, as we mentioned, and then, as Andres says, the remaining matches for River are home to Belgrano, away to Atletico, which is tricky, but not unnegotiable uh, home to Estudiantes who've been dreadful away um, away to Vélez who as we say have been pretty crap since the fifth round home or away uh, home to Olimpo and then away to Racing and then they finish off at home to Banfield and away to Quilmes of those after this weekend I think that the away Racing game is potentially the most difficult and at the same time because it's Racing it could turn into the most easy 
<laughs> it could go either way because it's racing. Um, but really, those are the, the the danger points. Perhaps the way to Atletico as well. Um, but you'd have to say that this little run in which they've played, they've been at home to Independiente, who of course was second in the table coming into that game, and they've been away to Arsenal, who are down in about 16th, but all the same have the best home record or joint best home record in the division. They're 16th because they're shit away from home. Um, and then away to Lanús, who again, like Independiente a couple of weeks before, were, were second going into that game. Um, this is the kind of, you know, I would say Independiente to this coming weekend is probably the, the five match period it's right in the middle of the season uh, the, of the championship but it's also probably the five most difficult and if I am not it. wrong Lanús News and Independiente haven't played between them each other so yeah I think you're right there yeah I, I, I think that's correct um, so no River can still be fairly good obviously Kranovic is out for the, the rest of the season to drag it back to Mr Numbers question but no I don't, I don't think it's all to do with Kranovic's absence of course we're not denying that he probably would have helped if he'd been fit still um, but these aren't necessarily bad results anyway well, I certainly fine. don't think it'll help much on Sunday no <laughs> well apart from that he's in the middle of the pitch and as I say the middle of the pitch was the area which was still playable but even then spreading the, the pitch wide yeah. is, is what River do and so that clearly handicapped them anyway uh, and finally Martin Conterio asks how on earth can games be played in such horrendous weather conditions it's almost as if it's a running theme this week Welcome to Argentina, Martin. That's uh, Martin. Sorry, not Martin. I'm getting too used to being in Argentina and pronouncing things the Latin way. If, if there wasn't the Copa Argentina, Copa Sudamericana, and, and the bad calendars mm. uh, uh, in terms of dates and that, uh, there won't be any problem to play the, the, the matches at the days. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, the next music that you hear, ladies and gents, will be Mystic Sam's theme music. And after that, of course... You will hear Mystic Sound, so don't go away. Last weekend, in spite of the rain, which didn't only affect the Super Classical, let's not forget it affected other matches as well, uh, Mystic Sound finished with 4 out of 10, which I'm quite pleased with. This weekend, Here's what's going to happen. Tigre versus Gimnasia La Plata gets things underway on Friday afternoon evening. Uh, I think that that is going to be a draw. Lanús against Godoy Cruz is a little later on Friday evening, and I think that that's bound to be a Lanús victory because Godoy Cruz are pretty pants away from home. Vélez Sarsfield against Olimpo on Saturday is a draw. Uh, Belgrano versus Quilmes also on Saturday is going to be a Belgrano victory uh, Estudiantes de la Plata against Racing I think that um, we'll have to Racing on the weekend it's very easy to because they're Racing but it is worth uh, remembering that Sebastián Saja in goal which is crucial and also Gabriel Auche and Ivan Pichud outfield were all missing from injury and they're back this weekend for certain so I think the Racing can get a point uh, away to Estudiantes um the match between Atletico de Rafaela and Banfield I think is going to be an Atletico victory Independiente versus Defensa Justicia two of the newly promoted sides as we're obliged to call them even though Independiente have a century of Primera tradition behind them um, I think that Independiente are going to edge it if you want the safest bet of the weekend I would bet on both teams to score in that match because both of them are decent going forward and dreadful in defending um, I think they've managed 
one clean sheet between them so far this season in the league. And for Felipe Manguejo to score. Yes, and possibly for <laughs> Federico Manguejo to score any time. Yeah, that, that could be a decent one. Over 2.5 that match. Mm, very possibly, yeah. yeah. Stranger things have happened. Uh, Boca Juniors versus Rosario Central. I think Boca are going to win that one. Newells versus River. I'm going to go for a fourth consecutive draw for River Plate there. Tricky um, fixture, as we say. And, I mean, I don't think that the, that the fact that River are playing on Thursday is going to have that much to do with it because Carlos Sanchez is the only first-team player who's expected to play in the Copa Argentina, but all the same. Going to go for a draw. And, finally, Arsenal de Sarandí against San Lorenzo. I'm going for a draw because San Lorenzo have been disappointing, but Arsenal have been sort of up and down a bit as well. They're very difficult to beat at home, but, yeah, draw. Last San Lorenzo away match was against Defensa Justicia, and they won it with but not being that that good. No, no, exactly. Um, oh, we have one more question. David Ellingham has emailed me a question. He says, with Beron becoming the new president of Estudiantes, what are going to be his main objectives on and off the pitch? And how successful do I think he'll be? What do we think he's going to be going for on and off the pitch? I think that he will have to manage with money to not... Uh, I think that Estudiantes... The, the it's worth pointing out, by the way, that their, their stadium is being finished. Yes. Right, the, it should be open next year, is it, or, or the year after, 2016? Uh, the Tierra de Campeones, the land of champions. Uh, I, I think that Lombardi hasn't been a bad president uh, for Estudiantes, so he had to, we have to keep that and uh, not know if he will promote a lot of players from, from the youth divisions, uh, but what we can't deny is that he will do what he will do with uh, the with his heart because his student is very fun, mm. very supportive. It, it's worth remembering, of course, that when he was playing in Europe, he would send money back here to to pay for training facilities. So Estudiantes have got yes. some of the best training facilities in the continent as a result of Veron paying for it out of his own pocket, out of the wages he was earning when he was at uh, Parma at Man United and Chelsea and Inter. Inter, did he play for Inter? Whichever other Italian club it was he went to after Chelsea, can't remember. Uh, yeah, <laughs> coming across as a real expert. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, his, uh, his, his love for the club is, is certainly not deniable. Um, but it's going to be interesting. It, it's, we don't really know anything about him as a director. And, and so I think it's, it's difficult to predict how successful he'll be. What I don't know, or at least I don't... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't... Uh, ha- haven't seen him sharing responsibilities with any other directors or board members which now we'll have to do because uh, for example we have Pasarela for River that all the decisions and all the things pass were through through him through his personality and that wasn't good we, we have seen that it was not good there's so, also the point that in terms of other ex-players you've got Carlos Babington at the Rakan. Yes. Uh, he he was also the, doesn't paint a particularly great picture after he, the first year or so. He, he uh, unlikely, well, uh, Pasarela and Babino were players, coaches and presidents. And this, in this case, Verón was not coach. So mm. from player to president, straight away. Yeah, uh, indeed. So it, it's a mystery and we shall wait, have to wait yes. to see. Uh, for now, ladies and gents, thank you very much for listening. 
Uh, we're just about to go over into the second file, which means we've recorded for slightly more than an hour and a half, but this should be slightly shorter by the time I cut it down. Thank you for listening for another week. Please come back next week, as ever, and thank you very much uh, for being involved in the 160th episode of Hand of Pod. Uh, to uh, Andres. Bye. Thank you. And thank you very much to Peter. Thank you. Goodbye. And thank you and goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>